You are listening to the Union Smack podcast. This retro review of In Your House 9 was originally released on September the 25th, 2020, and may include topics both professional and personal that have no impact on the present day. Inform the authorities, tighten border control, and raise your flags high, because Union Smack returns with another trip down memory lane. And this time around, there's going to be an incident, most probably internationally. I am once again your host, the Maniac Matt Tennant, and we are on a jet plane flying over the In Your House Seas. And this week we have a flyover at In Your House 9 International Incident. But first, you can find me, as always, on Twitter, at The Perfect Tenant. You can find Travis on Twitter, at The Hibiki TMD. UnionSmack.BigCartel.com for all your merchandise needs. And Lulu.com. Sorry, I just had a muffin before I started recording. And it broke my train. Bollocks. I was on such a roll then. Lulu.com, where you can purchase a copy of my first and second book, The Undertaker, A Trip Down Death Valley, and NXT UK Year One, which should be on sale now by the time you hear this. So, here we go. Tighten your seatbelts. Oxygen masks will be provided and expect turbulence on today's flight. In Your House 9 comes fresh off of the 1996 King of the Ring, which saw Stone Cold Steve Austin win the King of the Ring tournament and cut that unforgettable Austin 316 promo on Jake Roberts who was beginning to slip back into old habits behind the scenes. More on that later. The event also... So I can't speak tonight. The event also saw Shawn Michaels defeat the British Bulldog to retain the WWF Championship in their rematch from In Your House 8, Beware of Dog. If you've not listened to that yet, then you can find it on the channel now. That match would begin to set the scene for this main event and indeed the SummerSlam 1996 main event. But again, more on that later. And I can hear you asking now in in the back there, what sort of muffin was it? It was chocolate chip. And you know when you eat a muffin or something chocolatey like that and it sticks at the back of your mouth? Probably not best to hit record 30 seconds after swallowing it because (laughs) it really... um, it really stays around, so apologies. We are on July the 21st, 1996. Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, from the General Motors Place. And In Your House 9 began with a free-for-all match, which saw Justin Hawk Bradshaw defeat Savio Vega. Yes, the Savio Vega, who had just had a cracking match with Stone Cold Steve Austin at In Your House 8, Beware of Dog. And this feud, which would last several long, boring months, began two weeks prior when Savio Vega defeated Justin Hawk Bradshaw. We will hear more about them, I think most probably next week, when we get to In Your House 10, but it might be the week after In Your House 11. I try not to jump forward too much. Everyone loves a little surprise, don't they? We open cold on footage of what occurred during the free-for-all between Jim Cornette and Jose Lothario. During a face-to-face conversation, Jim Cornette, and I'm still I'm still trying to swallow hard because it's still sticking there. My voice is getting croaky now. 
Apologies again. <clears throat> Jim Cornette tried to hit Jose Lothario with his racket, but old Super Sock ducked and floored Jim with a punch of his own. This led to Vader charging the ring, and he was shortly followed by Shawn Michaels, who stopped Lothario from taking a pounding by Vader. And this was just another nice little string to the bow, which would eventually become the SummerSlam at main event. More of that to come during the, the main event of In Your House 9. It's, it's a very, it's a well done open that catches you off guard. You're expecting the titles and the graphics, etc. But there is none. There's this and then it cuts straight in. No intro video. Straight in to the action of In Your House 9. And the first match is a non-title match. The Smoking Guns versus The Body Donners. Now, even though the Smoking Guns were the WWF Tag Team Champions going into this, having defeated the Godwins in the free-for-all match of In Your House 8 to capture the gold and, indeed, Sonny, the story going into this was that Sonny, who, of course, the former manager of the Body Donners before she turned on them and followed the tag titles like a, the cheap whore she, she turned out to be, refused to put the gold on the line and... Yeah, because she she apparently had power in WWF. Gorilla Monsoon was the acting president, but Sonny decided when her tag team titles went up for grabs. I will say, however, Tammy Sitch, criminally hot in 1996. Vince McMahon throws to backstage where the body donners await alone without Cloudy. And if you don't remember Cloudy, that was their manager after Sonny, the bloke dressed in a wig and Sonny's outfit with tattoos all down his massive arms. Welcome to WWF. Zip says that they don't need a manager, and Skip says that the fans are behind them. Now, seeing a babyface body donors in 2020, even weirder than seeing them at this point when it went out live. It just didn't fit their characters. Even at, I was coming up to 11 years old at this point, even at 11, seeing this, I, I remember being just like, this doesn't sit right with me. You know, the, the entire body Donner's gimmick was born to be a heel. The whole, look how perfect we are compared to you fat fucks. It was never going to you know, really get over as a babyface role. And I, I don't remember it ever doing so. They heard some cheers, but the body Donner's would not last long following, uh, following the summer of 1996. Now, before we get into this match, I have to say that I did what I always do with these events once I've watched them. And I went online, clickety-clickety-click, to see what other so-called official reviews said. Now, I won't, I won't name the person or the, the site which I read and caught my attention most. But this match did not go down well with a certain reviewer. And no, it's not good old Uncle Dave, before you ask. But... I really didn't mind it. In fact, I thought it was a mostly solid tag team match. The Body Donners double team Billy to start, which causes Billy Gunn to, to bail and tag out immediately once he's back in the ring. It's at this point that Vince informs us on commentary. And this is, I will warn you now, we start out very bitty. We, we review a bit of match and then we have to jump into something else because of the order of how bits go. So... Vince informed us during the beginning of this match that Jake the Snake Roberts will not compete against Mankind tonight due to a rib injury 
and will be replaced by Henry Godwin. Back to the match in hand. Zip and Bart swap nice arm drags into arm bars, and the body donners make quick tags to work over the arm. And I failed to see what anyone didn't like about this. Quick, logical, play to each role. You know, the teams were were saddled in at the time. Billy Gunn versus Skip, quite good. And this is the match where Chris Candido showed the WWF that he was better than anything they'd been given him so far. He hit a flying head scissors, they went back and forth, and then Sonny pretended to faint on the outside to distract Skip. Her plan worked. Skip left the match to check on her, but when he got close, she gave him an almighty slap, and the guns nailed him with a double clothesline on the outside. It was a really clever plot device to draw sympathy from the crowd, but anyone who knew Chris Candido or the story of him and Tammy Sitch know that there was no acting really required here. This was the real Chris Candido. The Chris Candido who obsessed over the love of his life. And I'm not just talking about being in love. I'm talking about utter obsession. Sitch and Candido, they came into the WWF as a legitimate couple outside the ring. And they broke up in 1995, shortly before Sonny began her relationship with Shawn Michaels. But she couldn't completely commit to it because of Chris Candido's obsession with her. She travelled with him. She lived with him. She shared hotel rooms with him still. Because, in her words, and I've listened to her many interviews about it, it helped him to come to terms with the breakup, even though, you know, in his head... He didn't really believe that they'd broke up. And it's a tragic tale, really, when you think about it. That this man, so completely in love with this flighty young girl that he can't possibly imagine a life without her. And that's no exaggeration. Sonny had to turn down a move to Shawn Michaels' house. Like, Shawn wanted her to move in with him. She turned it down because she knew Chris Candido would kill himself if she did. That would be the thing that, that killed all hope for him of them ever getting back together. Like, how sad is that? Anyway, back to this match. What we all came here for, some wrestling. Uh, Skip, duped by Sonny, not for the first time. Double clotheslined on the outside of the ring. And the smoking guns dominate him with various moves, which include a lovely Irish whip into the buckles, which you can hear. And Bart catches him in a cracking power slam as Skip comes off the second rope. There's a great moment here when the guns completely botch a leapfrog guillotine over the top. Billy can't get over Bart, and I shit you not, Billy Gunn, Monty Sop in real life, loses his call live on camera. He visibly has words with Bart Gunn, who doesn't know how to respond. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say this, okay? I think, and I don't care who disagrees here, because I'm watching a lot of smoking guns at the minute. I think the smoking guns were better and more entertaining as heels than they were as baby faces. That, that, that's my bold statement for the episode. There were several mistimings in this match, but they were covered well enough. Skip countered a double axe handle from the top rope with a lovely atomic drop and gets the semi-hot tag to Zip, who I've always thought looked like a creepy uncle who tried to uh, tried to stay trendy. God bless Tom Pritchard. Uh, 
The end comes when Billy trips Zip as he thunders into the ropes, but he misses his chance to hit the sidewinder because he spots Sonny arguing with Skip on the outside of the ring, and then Billy goes to argue with Sonny. Now, this distracts the referee. Skip climbs the top rope, nails Bart with a missile dropkick, and Zip collapses onto Bart for the, the victory. It's a very well-done ending, and it makes Billy look like he cares more about Sonny than the team and the titles, which, of course, would then lead into the smoking guns breakup and the dissension into the ranks, etc. And in the coming months, you know, the guns would split and Billy would go on to find greater fame as Rockabilly and then, of course, as part of the New Age Outlaws and Degeneration X. This, it was a pretty good match. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. There were several issues with timing and such, which stopped this being truly great, and the crowd, they didn't really truly get into it. But the action was good enough to warrant a watch. So I, I you know, the body donners had had the Godwins for the past few months. So the chance to actually get two men who vaguely knew how to wrestle and put a match together, it, it was just a blessing for them. And they made the most of it. So watch this match. See how good Chris Candido was as Skip and how he probably should have been pushed further. Though he was never going to be pushed over Steve Austin. I would have liked to have seen Steve Austin versus Chris Candido main event. Sadly, the one thing we never got. Mr. Perfect is backstage with Camp Cornette as Vader throws a massive temper tantrum off screen. And he is hurling objects around the locker room. A bin, a garbage can, flies past the camera. We again are shown footage of Jim Cornette and Jose Lothario from the free-for-all. And Cornette says that Jose pulled a switchblade on him. And that Shawn Michaels tried to attack him from behind. Wonderful little promo from Jim. Who, as always, is amazing on the microphone. I, I think over the last nine episodes... Over the last nine in your houses we've covered... I think Jim Cornette is the MVP of them all thus far Jim Cornette then promises to refund everyone in the arena and at home if Vader, Davey Boy Smith and Owen Hart don't beat Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson and Sid, otherwise dubbed the People's Posse, more on that later in the main event the British Bulldog then says that Diana won't be at ringside for this one and Owen tells us that he will knock Sid out with his cast just like he's knocked out Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson in the past. Mankind versus Henry Godwin is up next. Now, this was meant to be Mankind versus Jake the Snake Roberts, which would have been a really great scrap, even though Roberts was well past his best in 1996. Pickled, almost, you could say. However, even though we're told that Jake is unable to compete because of a rib injury... In reality, he no-showed the event, and WWF did their best to find a replacement at the, the very last minute. I mean, of course the replacement had to be Henry Godwin. You know, and before we get into this, I have to say, there's no earthly rhyme or reason why Henry Godwin should have been the replacement after being saddled in tag team competition over the last few months. There was a roster full of wrestlers who could have taken his spot, including Savio Vega, 
But they went with Henry Godwin, a man not renowned for his experience in singles competition. Of course, Jerry Lawler has an absolute ball on commentary with the alcohol jokes, which are really good. And uh, they, they only add, I think, to a match which we're about to put under the spotlight. This also another hideous theme tune for Henry Godwin, which I'm sure was dubbed over for the, the WWE Network version of In Your House 9. Because I don't ever remember Henry Godwin having this theme, especially at this time. It was the um, Don't Go Messing With A Country Boy theme that the Godwins had in 1996. So I'm sure, and I've convinced myself that they've dubbed this over for copyright reasons, but maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure I'm not, though. Henry Godwin had to be you know, the king of shit theme tunes in, in WWF. Mankind attacks from behind to begin the bout, but Henry rallies back with punches, a power slam, and a clothesline over the top rope. Mankind nails a running bulldog, an elbow drop, and running knee to the face in the corner, and the bout really begins to pick up at this point as they go back and forth. Mankind on Henry's back for a choke, which is broken when the hog farmer backs into the buckles, and then Foley pulls the padding from the arena floor and exposes the concrete for a vicious neck breaker on the concrete, which, to his shame, Henry Godwin barely sold, and he was up on his feet seconds later. Poor, poor selling. Mankind charges Henry in the corner, but he moves and Foley connects headfirst with the ring post, which allows the bout to spill to the outside once again. Now, just a little note here. Mankind hit that ring post in the very same way Hunter Hearst Helmsley hit it uh, in your house seven when he lost to Mark Moreau. This made Helmsley look like a little bit of a pussy. Mankind cracked his head on the ring post and was up and fighting again in no time. Helmsley lost the match and was out for a good minute and a half. Anyway, they're on the outside and Henry Godwin slams Mankind from the apron onto the concrete in a really sick spot. But plaudits to Mick Foley for taking that. Mankind counters the slop drop by holding the ropes. And then locks in the mandible claw as Godwin passes out. And the referee awards the bout to Mick Foley. This, you might think Henry Godwin in a singles match on pay-per-view. What the fuck are they thinking? But this was a surprisingly decent singles match. And undoubtedly Henry's best in in WWF. Maybe ever. Singles wise, definitely. Mick Foley did wonders with him. Threw himself around the ring to to make him look like a a million dollars. There is an argument that says that Henry Godwin got in too much on the man who was being built for The Undertaker. But honestly, that's a minor, minor gripe. As a side note, I always loved how Mankind had two different themes. That disturbing entrance theme at the beginning and then the pleasant childlike you know, nursery dream time theme after he'd won a match. Made him really stand out. As if he needed to stand out more. We're taken to the WWF Superstar line where Raymond Rougeau is with Sonny and the Smoking Guns and Brian Pillman is with the Body Donners. Pillman is a ball here. He is marvellous. He says that the body donors are talking a load of sanctimonious rubbish as they're on the phone. 
and all they care about is Sonny and tits and ass. He says TNA. He doesn't say tits and ass, but he might as well have done. Because at King of the Ring, I believe he cut a promo where he said he's going to rape and pillage the WWF. He then says that they're complaining about all of the double teaming that happened in their match with the Smoking Guns, but they want to double team Sonny. This wasn't only a great line, my friends, but it was at this point that you could hear the air turn blue in the gorilla position, and Vince McMahon on commentary just did not know what to say in response. Brian Pillman was absolutely wonderful here. He had signed his WWF contract the month before on June the 10th, but was forced to serve as a commentator and backstage personality while he recovered from a shattered ankle. And that shattered ankle was caused when he fell asleep at the wheel of his car and drove it into a tree, which also caused him to be in a coma for a week. Unfortunately, it was also this injury that forced Brian Pillman to abandon his previous high-flying style in favour of the grounded wrestler he he displayed in his time with WWF. Doctors had to fuse his ankle back together in a permanent walking position. Yeah, it made me wince as well. The next match on the card, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Mark Moreau. And this is a rematch from King of the Ring. And the story going into this is that Steve Austin wants revenge on Mark Moreau after the Wildman had cut him open the hard way in their semi-final match. This was supposedly done, and we're shown the recap footage, of Moreau kicking him in the face accidentally on a reverse flying leg roll-up. In actual fact, it is originally thought that it was Moreau's jawbreaker that did the damage, but either way, Austin required 16 stitches to close that wound. And yet he still went on and competed in the King of Three tournament and won. Gloriously won. Like I said, speaking of the incident, we're shown a recap from King of the Ring. And then when they cut back live, Steve Austin's face is, is priceless. Both men begin. Really good start. Moreau works over the arm. Austin throws himself about to make it all look really good. Before he executes some excellent counters. Some trash talking. He goes for Sable after not being able to get his way, but is cut short by an apron double axe handle. And once they're back inside, Moreau hits the same move, which was credited for causing injury to Austin at King of the Ring. Steve Austin feigns injury, only to gain the upper hand with a thumb to the eye and a rear clothesline. And this was very well done, by the way. You, know, you felt like they could have made more of it, even though the commentators tried their best, but Austin looked like a really, really big prick, if you like. He plays to the crowd so well during this as well, and it's easy to see how he got himself over when the shackles were taken off. He takes Mark Moreau to the outside, uh, hits, a, hits a slingshot into the ring post, which <laughs> some fans cheer. And once they're back in the ring, Austin gives Moreau the middle finger and connects with a vicious second rope elbow drop. I will say, everything Steve Austin does here looks hard and vicious, which only goes to, to serve the match. Moreau dodges a running hangman, but Austin blocks the ropes with his foot, only for Moreau to crotch him on top. Austin sets up for a pile driver, and then down comes Marlena and Goldust's bellboy, who approach the ring, 
And then this this could have ended disastrously. Both Austin and Mark Moreau botch a powerbomb attempt. They fall backwards really awkwardly into the ropes, but Mark Moreau saves their blushes, turns it into a terrific hurricane runner over the top rope, and then an apron sent on. That could have ended much more horrifically. Marlena gives Jerry Lawler a gold envelope, but we never find out what's in it. Mark Moreau lands an apron moonsault and a slingshot splash to prove that he was much better than anyone remembered him being. He was really good in 1996. But for some reason, he goes to the top rope after a 10 punch, and that allows Austin to crotch in on top. That doesn't make any sense watching him do this. Like He hits the 10 punch, and then for some reason, instead of jumping off of Austin, he goes to the top rope like... Austin's slumped in the in the corner. What can you possibly do on the top rope? No sense whatsoever. Austin crotches him on the top rope and they enter the final stretch. Moreau counters the Stone Cold Stunner by holding the ropes. Hits a springboard leg drop, but is caught with a chop block by Austin, who then hits the Stunner for the victory. This was a very, very good match. Was it better than their King of the Ring bout? That's subjective. But I very much enjoyed like both. Their King of the Ring match and their In Your House 9 match. Both very, very good showings. Even though this was, I think it was about six minutes shorter. I do recommend you watch both of them though. Just to see how underrated Austin was as a, a heel in the ring. And how good Mark Moreau could be on his, on his best day. This was Austin's third Really good pay-per-view match in a row. I'm not going to count his match against against uh, Jake Roberts in the final of the King of the Ring because that was short um, and it wasn't that great. That was, It was all about the moment afterwards. But his match against Savio Vega at In Your House 8 and his two matches against Mark Moreau here at In Your House 9 and King of the Ring were very, very good indeed. You could see why people loved him. And you could see why the company were ready to invest in him in the not-too-distant future. Bob Backlund is hilariously shown in the crowd campaigning for president in the wrong city completely. And then we're shown a video package for the following night on Raw, which advertises Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson versus the Smoking Guns for the WWF Tag Team Championships. The next match was Goldust versus The Undertaker in a rematch from In Your House 8. And being the second In Your House that these two had fought, and obviously this stemmed from Goldust cheating The Undertaker out of the Intercontinental Championship last time, it was all a bit much. They, I feel like they did everything they could do or were going to do at In Your House 8, and they had... Absolutely nothing left for this match. And it showed. Goldust had lost the Intercontinental Championship to Ahmed Johnson at the King of the Ring. So there was, there was literally no stakes whatsoever. And the first thing I have to mention about this is Marlena. She looks absolutely amazing. I don't think Terry Runnels gets enough exposure for how beautiful and sexy she was. In a time where she was surrounded by women like Sonny, Sable, the Cat, Fabulous Moolah. No, that's a joke. You know, several others. 
But she was always one of my favourites as a teenager, and she's another whose whose posters I had that wouldn't be any good to anyone anymore. The match begins with Goldust avoiding the Undertaker of what seems like an ice age, and when he finally gets in, he hides behind the referee and walks him slowly towards the Undertaker. That was pretty amusing, I'll be honest. But what happens after isn't, because what we're given is a basic television match just when this event was going really, really well for the most part. The Undertaker drops Goldust with a throat thrust as Goldust does his pose in front of him, only for Rhodes to bail to the outside again. Now, this goes nowhere except stalling for time, and it gives us horrible flashbacks to Goldust versus the Ultimate Warrior from a few in your houses ago. The Undertaker finally follows him to the outside, choke slams him on the steps, which looks really awkward. He doesn't land flat, Goldust. He lands at an angle on the side of the steps. It looks really bad. But Undertaker doesn't capitalise, and he just gets back in the ring and allows Goldust to waste more time. It feels very patchy, very illogical. You just wonder, like, what the pair are playing at. Are they stalling for time? Is Goldust injured again? You know, do they need to add an, another five minutes onto the match because it ran short and they didn't have any other ideas? Thankfully, Undertaker goes back out, rams Goldust into the steps again, and then lifts the stairs above his head and threatens to drop them on Goldust. But Marlena lays over him to protect him. Finally, we're back in the ring and the match starts properly. Undertaker nails Goldust with more thrusts to the throat out of the corner and a leg drop. And it's all very uninteresting, I'll be honest. It makes you wonder if this is all they had in the bank, then why bother, why bother booking it? Why bother booking a second go-around when they did everything they could in their first match together? Goldust gains the upper hand with a thumb to the eye. That's the third, by the way. The third match we've seen a thumb to the eye in order for the, the heel to to gain the momentum. Lazy booking. It's like there's no creativity. He hits hard knees into the corner, but it is short-lived. I wish this match was. As the Undertaker throws Goldust into the opposite buckle and hits body shots. We're going to fast-forward a bit through this match, because I'm bored reading the notes, just as I was watching this farce. So fast-forward to save us all some... Uh, some sanity, if you like. Goldust pulls off the turnbuckle, and it's clearly signposted that the Undertaker's going into it, which he does. The fight goes back outside the ring, where Goldust drops the steps onto the Undertaker. And what occurs next is really odd, because when the Undertaker can't hit a tombstone, he improvises and snags Goldust with an inside cradle, which looks really odd for him to do. When have you ever... Seeing the Undertaker do an inside cradle. Now, you know, drop it in the comments if if you've seen him do one before 1996. But I don't ever recall him doing anything like that. It was just really out of character. Flying clothesline, tombstone follow. But you can tell a screwy finishes on its way because it takes the Undertaker forever to cover gold dust. Even though he's already above him. He's got one arm over his chest. It's just wasting time. 
Mankind breaks through the canvas. He pulls the Undertaker down through the hole with him as the referee calls for the disqualification. All that, nearly 10 minutes of utter rubbish for a screwy finish. And the screwy finish was the best part about the match. After Mankind stares down into the hole as it smokes and the lights flicker, the Undertaker pops up the other side of the ring and chases Mankind to the locker room. Do not watch this match if you're watching this event. It's a really good in your house, and this is the match that brings it down slightly. So if you can avoid this, then do so at all costs. You will get absolutely nothing from it. We do the work, my good friends, so you don't have to. We're showing an advert for SummerSlam of different wrestlers competing in various Olympic Games. Now, there's one shot of Ahmed Johnson just running through hurdles and breaking and smashing through them. That wasn't actually shot specially. The camera just caught him after he'd snorted his pre-match routine. As we're taken to Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler, and Jim Ross, in fact, on commentary, a fan in the front row... <laughs> I did like this bit. It, uh, it made me smile. A fan in the front row reaches over the barrier and just places a Burger King crown on Jerry Lawler's head. God bless Canadians. The cameras then cut to the backstage area, where The Undertaker and Mankind are brawling in the boiler room. This would, of course, lead us into SummerSlam and their boiler room brawl, which we will get to hear more of at the end of this episode, thanks to Gorilla Monsoon. We get a really good and informative video package next to build the six-man tag team main event, and this recapped almost every major point in this rivalry. It begins at King of the Ring, where we see Shawn Michaels defeating the British Bulldog to retain the WWF Championship. After the match, Camp Cornette strike, and they beat down Shawn until Ahmed Johnson and the Ultimate Warrior come to his aid. Todd Pettengill then tells us that the six men will collide in your house. The package then switches to Gorilla Monsoon, announcing that he has suspended the Ultimate Warrior indefinitely for failure to appear at several WWF house shows. Now, at the time, this was reality merging with storyline, and it, it broke kayfabe. Because in reality, it wasn't too far from the truth. The Ultimate Warrior had allowed WWF to set up this match and storyline with him involved before he pulled you know, one of his old tricks and no-showed the events that Gorilla Monsoon said that he no-showed. However, when asked his reasoning, Warrior said that his father had died and he, he took time away to grieve and deal with it properly. But it then came to light, and this is priceless, <laughs> like using your, your, your dead father to get out the shit and get out of work is, is one low. But then it came out that the warrior hadn't seen his father in a decade and didn't really care much for him anyway. So the truth finally was out and he chose to no-show the events because, according to him, Vincent McMahon had breached their contract by selling warrior merchandise and not giving him a cut. Needless to say, the Ultimate Warrior's contract was terminated by WWF. But to use your dead father, who you couldn't stand anyway, as an excuse. 
We see Camp Cornette attacking the Ultimate Warrior in his final appearance on WWF television and Vader hitting him with Vader bombs. This is followed by footage from Raw of Jim Cornette saying that after the beating they gave Warrior, no one would dare take his place. Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson then pop up and introduce Psycho Sid as their new partner. Now, the last time we'd seen Sid on WWF television was on a January the 20th, 1996 edition of Superstars, where he teamed with the 123 Kid to face Aldo Montoya and Avatar. Shortly after that, he suffered a neck injury in a match with Brian Christopher on a USWA card, and that was him done for five months. He took five months out. I don't recall there ever being a an explanation of why he was gone. I might be wrong. Ted DiBiase might have fired him from the Million Dollar Corporation or some such, but that doesn't ring a bell right now. But here he is, back from his neck injury, and then we're taken back to Raw last Monday. Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson being led into a trap by Jim Cornette, ambushed by Vader, the Bulldog, and Owen, and then, I shit you not, Sid drives his car into a garbage can, almost like it's out of control, jumps out the vehicle and chases the heels away. You have to see this, my friends. You have to see it to believe it. It is laugh-out-loud funny if you can find the, the entire clip somewhere on YouTube. Backstage, Doc Hendricks is with the People's Posse. I know. They actually called themselves that, and it wasn't even Survivor Series. Oh dear. He asked them if they were concerned with what Jim Cornette had planned, considering his guarantee to refund everyone watching and everyone in the arena. Shawn Michaels said that Jim Cornette wishes this was only a sword fight, but it's a gang war and says that Sid and Ahmed are there to back him up. Because, you know, he's Shawn Michaels. Ahmed says that all the talking is done and Sid chips in, says that the game plan is simple. Six men enter, only three survive. But he doesn't get to finish his sentence because Shawn Michaels literally steals the microphone and cuts him off because someone else is getting too much of the spotlight. But it's okay. And do you know why it's okay? Because he's Shawn Michaels. The main event of In Your House 9 International Incident the People's Posse versus Camp Cornette. The contrast to how loved Shawn Michaels was in Canada here and how hated he would be throughout the rest of his career there. To this crowd, it was night and day. However, he was not as popular as Sid, who almost took the roof off of this arena when he made his entrance. People absolutely loved Babyface Psycho Sid in 1996, and even heel Psycho Sid when he eventually turned on Shawn Michaels, and they uh, they went into Survivor Series to battle for the title. People still loved Sid. There was he couldn't wrestle that much. He had his moments, but there was something about him that was just absolutely lovable. And I love Psycho Sid. Always have. In ring, no. Character wise, yes. And just think, alright, Shawn Michaels could have lost the WWF Championship to the Ultimate Warrior had he bothered to show up for work. Had they not had to get Sid in to replace the Warrior, 
Shawn Michaels could have lost the belt to the Warrior at Survivor Series. What a frightening thought that is. There's an interesting note here where Jerry Lawler reminds us that Sid turned on Shawn last year and dropped him with five power bombs. And then, with all six men ready for battle, Vader taunts and challenges Shawn Michaels to start. Sean agrees, and but the pair they take it easy, really, because Sean hated working with Vader, absolutely despised it. But that's another podcast, all of its own. And if we ever do SummerSlam 1996, and I'm sure we will at some point, then we will delve into the reasons and the story why. Sean Michaels countered the hanging neckbreaker bomb into punches, but Vader cut him short with a headbutt. He replied with a hurricane runner, flying clothesline, clothesline over the top rope and baseball slide, and then finished it off with a slingshot tope suicida, which it may have looked good, but it did little for Vader's credibility as a monster. And it wouldn't be the last time we saw Vader take a beating in this match either, when he should have been preserved as the, the unbeatable monster for SummerSlam. Vader counters an apron dive. Sean collides with the guardrail before they're back inside and Vader knocks him about with punches. Sean tags Sid and what a showing Sid got here. Punches, clotheslines, really good kicks. He was a little ball of energy while it lasted and fans exploded when he dumped Vader to the outside. Where did this Sid come from and where the hell had he been for five years? This match had to be the best he'd looked in WWF thus far in his career. The bout took a dip when Ahmed Johnson got in for the first time. He hit some sloppy German suplexes on Owen. They looked really bad. His Pearl River plunge on the Bulldog was beautiful though. and That caused Vader to break up a pinfall attempt. There was an impressive moment, I will add, when Ahmed Johnson caught Vader in mid-air and then botched a power slam. You never get the full package with Ahmed. It's never great, great, great. It's always great. Oh dear. The heels began to control Ahmed as some semblance of order set in. But the hot tag he made to Sid was so cold. He just wandered over after several minutes of punishment and just tagged him. Though someone needed to teach Ahmed Johnson the psychological aspect of professional wrestling. That could have been such a huge pop and he just spunked it up the wall. Bulldog stalling suplex on Sid was a thing of wonder. But the heels then began to control Sean who sold everything they did to him wonderfully. Ahmed Johnson take note. The referee I have to add is awful. Absolutely awful Earl Hebner. He misses so many pinfall attempts because he's out of position. And it seems like they're having to call him to get his attention. It looks really amateurish. Owen versus Sean is very good. The Bulldog's a ball of energy here, carrying over his terrific performance from King of the Ring. Owen hits Sean in the head with his cast, and with Sean and Vader in a bear hug, a fan decides to jump the rail and get onto the ropes, but he's chased off by Ahmed Johnson and the British Bulldog, as if he'd have gotten to Sean Michaels anyway with Vader in there. That's one bear I would not want to poke with a stick. Finally, Sean makes the hot tag, but the referee doesn't see it. Classic storytelling. And so the second hot tag to Sid brings the house down again. Sid chokeslams all three of them, but then Sean's ego gets the better of him. He tags Sid, even though Ahmed Johnson at this point was the legal man. But, you know, it doesn't matter. He's Shawn Michaels. 
Owen knocks Ahmed out with the cast on the outside of the ring. Jim Cornette throws Vader his racket. Shawn Michaels catches it, leathers Vader, but as he lines up for the switcher music, Cornette grabs his leg and Vader squashes Shawn in the corner and hits the Vader bomb for the win. Yes, they allowed Vader to pin the WWF champion. Which not I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying like Shawn Michaels on such a a role. He had so much, you know, good heat with the fans and everything and to see him pinned as champion in a non-title match was uh it was quite shocking at the time actually. After the match, Ahmed Johnson and Sid cleaned house. Sid hit Owen and Davy with power bombs, but Vader avoided the move, only to be hit with a, a flying dive by Shawn Michaels over the top rope. The two then brawled until they were broken up. This, my friends, was fantastic. An absolutely fantastic main event. One of the best in your house matches ever for my money. It wasn't perfect still. You know, the referee was god awful and they gave us too much Vader versus Shawn Michaels. And when I say too much Vader versus Shawn Michaels, they must have had seven minutes, if not a bit longer, of Vader versus Shawn. And it just it, it lessened the SummerSlam main event for me. If they'd have been purposeful and designed this match so the pair missed each other until Vader finally pinned Shawn to win the match, then SummerSlam would have had, let's say, bigger impetus. As it was, we'd seen all of Vader versus Shawn that we really needed to see. And I think SummerSlam would have been much better received had these two barely touched each other all night long. Still, I highly recommend this match. It is absolutely fantastic. We are treated to an In Your House Extra following this, which sees Doc Hendricks with Gorilla Monsoon, and Doc asks him about SummerSlam and if he can give us the scoop on matches he's already made. Gorilla announces The Undertaker versus Mankind in the Boiler Room Brawl, and then Jim Cornette and Vader enter. Vader wants Shawn Michaels. Cornette says that they can't wipe the smiles off of their faces, but they will wipe the WWF Championship from Shawn Michaels' waist. Pound for pound, for my money, In Your House 9 International Incident is the best In Your House we've had yet. Maybe one of the best In Your Houses they ever did. With only one match that felt like filler, that was The Undertaker versus Mankind, this was stacked with surprising bouts from beginning to end, and it delivered for me, almost on every front, and of course the main event was out of this world. For that reason, I'm grading In Your House 9 A-, and honestly, I strongly recommend all you good Warped people watch this from beginning to end. Very, very, very impressive. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for once again putting up with me. In Your House 9 is in the books. Next week, we move on to In Your House 10. We hopefully move on to some NXT UK as well. So watch the Twitter timeline. Watch this space. We will let you know whether we're going twice weekly. And to be honest, I'm recording this a little bit in advance. So maybe we've already been twice weekly. And I'm just gabbling on for absolutely nothing. But until next time, my friends, you can catch me on Twitter at The Perfect Tenant. 
Follow Travis on Twitter at the Habiki TMD, unionsmack.bigcartel.com for all your merchandise needs, and lulu.com where you can now purchase both of my books, The Undertaker, A Trip Down Death Valley, and NXT UK Year One. Do not forget, we also have our giveaway competition where I want you to tell me how many times The Undertaker and Yokozuna fought in casket matches between 1993 and the end of 1994. That closes on October 31st. Tweet or DM me your answer and the winner will receive a free copy of my NXT UK Year One book. For now though, I'm out of here. Thank you for listening. Wear a mask, be safe. Cheerio, mates.